Thank you, Brother Johnson. Have you been enjoying this? Isn't this wonderful? Just wonderful. Uh, some folks have been asking about these two booklets, Why Berean Bible Fellowship and Sensitivity Training in the Bible, both very important. They've been coming to our the Berean Bible Society book stand, we could have them there gladly, but we don't. They're at the Berean Bible Fellowship corner. Go to the left-hand corner for these. Arm yourselves with several of them. You might need them at some time. Uh, then, of course, on your way back, you stop at Grace Gospel Publishers and get a lot of their goodies. But I've had on my heart to mention the controversy. When I see all these young people, oh, I wish every one of them had a copy of the controversy. It, is, it has more questions to answer, or more answers to questions than any of the books I think that I have written anyway. It's just filled, it's a book about controversy over the grace message, and it's filled with answers to questions. Now, I'll tell you what we've done. Uh, Ruthie Wallstrom didn't even know this. I took the $4 sign down and put a $3 sign there. How about that? You can get them for $3 just here and uh, at this conference. It's a $4 book. So the controversy, uh, especially for our young people, of course, we don't want to close anybody out. So anybody under 100 $3 for the controversy. But one more thing about that tape, uh, the author's choice, 14 messages, 8 tapes in a, in a very good expensive case uh, they're $15 here don't make us take them home we don't have many but they're, don't write us later and say can I have one for $15 we may charge you 25 20 is cheap enough but at any rate you can get them still here for $15 thank you now will you turn with me again please to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts and verse 35 the 10th chapter of the book of Acts and verse 35. I'll read verse 34 as well. Now listen very carefully. I had a good deal of thinking about this. I was thinking of two different parts of Scripture last night, but it didn't bother me. I went restfully to sleep after that. But listen carefully to this now. Peter opened his mouth and said it. Now he's just beginning his message here. We're going to come back to that later. And I might say for some of you young people who want to be used in the Lord's work and may give only testimonies on street corners or may be called upon to give a testimony behind a pulpit, remember that verse, it's said about the Lord Jesus, it's said about others, it's repeated several times, he opened his mouth and said unto them. Some of these dear fellows don't open their mouths. I remember the first time I preached in a really big, to a really big congregation. That was in the Berean church in Muskegon. How many here from Muskegon? Raise your hand. Elmer Herman? How about that? Glad to see you, Brother Elmer. But I remember the first time I preached there, I was a real young fellow in my 20s, and uh, I suppose I didn't stand on my two feet, and I, you know how it can be when you're, you're not as tough when, until you get older. And uh, I had just started to preach, and somebody from the from the balcony back there, shouted, louder, please. <laughs> so don't forget, young people, open your mouth. He opened his mouth. Now that's just a, you got that extra. Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth God and worketh righteousness 
is accepted with him. Now, last night I thought of some different ways of saying things to explain this, uh, which I now wish I had thought of when I wrote the set on Acts. Maybe we'll change it a little in the second printing, the second edition. But let's go on from here. We dealt yesterday with uh, this man, Cornelius, this centurion's character. Can I change that word now? Let's call it his attitude. It's attitude, I think, that produces character. Now look, please, chapter 10, verse 2, he was a devout man. He was one that feared God. And he must have been sincere in this because he feared God with all his house. And it is evident from the context that his household is here referred to. He gave much alms to the poor. He prayed to God always. Look at verse 22. And they said, now these are the messengers, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and a good report among all the nation uh, of the Jews. The 30th verse, please. Uh, Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting. He even left off his food in his search for a knowledge of God, the true God. Uh, so this man had a, a, a marvelous attitude, did he not? And I might say to begin with that Peter now says at the opening of his message, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now some, and I do not criticize them at all, but uh, some have felt that this means that he was already saved. Now that cannot be because uh, Peter was sent to tell him words whereby he would be saved. And he hasn't even introduced his message yet when he says that in every nation those who fear God and work righteousness are accepted with him. In what sense then was he accepted? I verily believe that he was accepted in the sense that here was a man with an attitude for whom God wanted to do something. This is the kind of a man I can do something for. His attitude was right. He wanted truly to know God. He feared God. He prayed to God in, in his ignorance of uh, much more that he might have known. He, he feared God and he prayed to him. He was a devout man. And the good works that he did surely could not have saved him. Beloved, don't say this is from another, uh, from the old dispensation uh, because that was then salvation was by works. Salvation was never by works. Works were required for salvation as an expression of faith. If God says, repent and be baptized to be saved, what will faith do? Repent and be baptized. If a man is not under that dispensation, is not baptized, that simply means that he didn't believe God. He didn't come his way. We believe God and we come his way. But this could not be salvation by works. It only means that this man had an attitude that God would uh, meet, if you please, in grace. Now then, 
Well, you've read that again and again. The, uh, he gives grace to the humble, but the proud, he knows them afar off. He sees them coming, and he resists them, it says. Now then, just to repeat very simply and quickly and clearly, that he, it does not mean that he was saved. First of all, this is at the beginning of his message. I just thought of that last night. I wish I had that in the book. You will not find it in the set. But secondly, the 10th chapter, verses 5 and 6, uh, he, uh, the, God tells uh, uh, Peter or Cornelius to look for Peter, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And we saw the significance of that. In 11.14, uh, we have that interpreted for us. He shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shalt be saved. Tenth chapter, verse 43, Peter says to him, Give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him in Christ shall receive remission of sins. Then you have the conclusion of the Jewish brethren. Uh, chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard these things, that is Peter's account of this story, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Just one more, chapter 10, 44. Here's the interruption. While Peter yet spake these words, now he's finishing, not he's, he's not finishing. He's just begun to, to commence his message. But while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on the, all them which heard the word. Now then, a word about his salvation. I think it's clear from what I've said that he, they had not been saved. Cornelius and his household were not really saved. They were in a position where God could respect their attitude and do something for them and sent Peter so that they could hear words whereby they could be saved. But now let's deal a moment with their salvation. First of all, this takes place outside of the prophetic program, but after the conversion and the appointment of Paul as an apostle. That's important. The time element here is important. This took place after the stoning of Stephen and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and his appointment as an apostle. And there had been special preparation for this particular event. You know that they had been sent, Peter and the other apostles, had been sent to, uh, how does it go, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. You have Acts 1.8. You'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now the one you have beginning at Jerusalem and the other have, you have the order beginning at Jerusalem. Why? Because Christ was to reign at Jerusalem because the blessing of the world was to flow from Jerusalem as we have it in the Old Testament prophets. But Jerusalem would not receive, oh, 3,000 people, and later it got to be 5,000 and more and more in Israel received. But their government, 
their rulers, Jerusalem, the capital, they never did accept it. And so God did something new. He started something new, separate from the prophetic program. First, he raised up another apostle. There had been 12 apostles for the 12 tribes of Israel. Now he raised up another, and don't forget it, Paul was appointed an apostle immediately on the road to Damascus. He was named, he was made an apostle right there. Now then, with that in mind, let's look please at the 10th chapter of Acts again, verses 9 and 10. Now, on the morrow, as they went on their journey, now here come three men from Cornelius looking for Peter. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop, what for? To pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open, and you'll remember what happened the sheet with the unclean beast, and the Lord says, All right, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. He says, Oh, Lord, I've, my lips have never touched anything common or unclean. And the Lord said, Don't you call common what I've cleansed. And this happened three times. Now then, uh, what do you suppose this hunger represented? So many people make other things, everything around the hunger, typical. Or, or symbolic, but not the hunger. What had he gone up to the rooftop for? To pray. Do we have any inkling of what he might have been praying for or praying about? Isn't it, isn't it normal, isn't it probable that God would have answered his prayer or, or uh, showed him the way by the vision? He went up to pray. Now, his hunger is surely symbolic because it is answered with a, a, a portion of food, if you please, with an offering of food. Here come all kinds of beasts, old pork, and I imagine he might have liked to eat a ham sandwich before that, but never could. But now the Lord says, go ahead, Peter, go ahead. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Well, that's what he was doing about going to these Gentiles. He wanted to go to the Gentiles, brethren, believe it, but the time was not yet ready. He was in the mind of God when he said to them, you know, it's an unlawful thing to go to a, for a Jew to come to one of another nation and eat with him. That was so. It had been so until that time. Israel had not yet accepted Christ. The blessing could not yet go to the nations. That's why they were all scattered in Acts 8, 1 to 3, except the apostles. Their job was not yet done. Turn with me, please, to the third chapter of Acts and listen to Peter's words here and see if you think he didn't want to go to the Gentiles. Some people think that he was... He answered back because he didn't want the Gentiles to be saved. Oh, brethren, no, no. There's too much evidence in Acts that this is not so. Now, verse 25 of Acts 3. Ye are the children of the prophets, speaking to Israel now. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant 
which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Don't you see he does not mention that part of the covenant in which he says, I'll bless you and I'll bless your seed and I'll give them this land. Doesn't even mention that. What he is hoping for is that that so-called great commission, it was a great commission to them, he was hoping that their great commission could get underway, that Israel would accept, and they could then go to the Gentiles. He says, the covenant, the promise was made to you that in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Beloved, that's the gospel of the circumcision. Here was the circumcision whom he was speaking to. It was the children of Abraham, the circumcision, who were supposed prophetically to be a blessing to all the world. Now he says, here you are. You can be a blessing to the world. If you will accept Christ, Jesus will send him back, and the times of refreshing will come. Now then, unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So you see what he's saying here, and this is Peter speaking. Peter's saying, you're only first. You're not the only ones. You are first, and then it can go on to the Gentiles. God made a promise, a covenant, that through you the Gentiles shall be blessed. I personally have not the slightest doubt in the light of all this context here in Acts 10 that that's what Peter was praying about, and he prayed for it, no doubt, every day. I hear prayer groups who say what they pray for, and I hear a broadcast, and I don't mean to, to hit the broadcast in any way, but I hear a broadcast on which they have daily prayer sessions, and brother, it is so humanistic, it's about so-and-so is going under surgery, and so-and-so has problem in her home, and so and so it's all about me and my feelings and my health and, and then I remember you already know that little dwarf she's been here uh, Marion Van Harken a great witness to the grace of God for years she came to me one time she said Brother Stan there's a change in my prayer life I, I'd like to talk to you about it I said fine let's sit down and we sat down and she said you know I used to pray about everything about my health and about my my income and about my job and about all kinds of things like she's now I find that I don't pray about those things I sure do pray that this message will get out though I said now you're a four-star general now you're right up there the general he doesn't he's not so worried about how his pajamas are folded or whether the bed is made right and so on after he's gone he's got an objective and beloved we ought to study the prayers of Paul and see how he prayed Oh, sure, he prayed for that thorn in the flesh, and I don't mean to belittle our own problems. Pray for anything that bothers you, but oh, make your great prayer the kind of prayer that Peter surely was here. Peter was praying, I think it's evident, from the, the hunger was symbolic of the prayer, and God answered that hunger how? That hunger was answered by a, a vision, and the vision was of 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 unclean animals coming down. He says, go ahead, partake of them, partake of them. And then God said when, when Peter argued, don't you call common or unclean what I have cleansed. Now then, let's go on. You'll see that this was not the continuance of the prophetic program. 
but an interruption of it. Let's look. Verse 17. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean. Now he didn't merely wonder what it meant. He doubted what it meant. He couldn't understand how God would say to him, eat unclean meat, go ahead. <laughs> you see, he couldn't understand that. How would God give me a vision like that? All right, verse 19, please. While Peter thought on these things, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing. Don't you doubt me now. You just go, just go with them, and it'll be open what you should do, and the vision surely should tell him something. Go, nothing doubting, for I have sent them. God sent these men, not merely Cornelius. God sent them. They were messengers from God to Peter to show him that he should do something that in his mind he could not yet understand. In fact, it was a contradiction of what he thought to be the program of God. Look, please, at the 28th verse. And he said unto him, now this is Peter speaking to Cornelius. Cornelius says, we're all gathered here, now you go ahead. And he said unto him, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me. Now he's saying that the vision did teach him something. God had said, now you go, nothing doubting. And now he's going to explain this vision. And he says, God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now this has nothing to do with salvation yet. This has to do with religious... Uh, uh, cleanness or uncleanness as we have it in the Old Testament. The Gentiles were called unclean. They, they were not to eat with them. They were not to associate too closely with them. Uh, they were called unclean. Those of the uncircumcision they were called uh, in, a, in a derisive way. But he says, now God has showed me that, that uh, he's made no difference, that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, in the 11th chapter, in the 17th verse, when he tells about their conversion, he says, what was I that I could withstand God? You see, this thing was not according to the prophetic program. It was something different. And I say significantly after the raising up of Paul. Now then, with that in mind, let's go to the interruption itself. I find myself talking too fast because I'm so excited about this. I think it's one of the most refreshing, one of the most beautiful interruptions in the book of Acts, certainly one of the most wonderful narratives, and shows the heart of love that God had toward those who would have been left in a fix because Israel would not recede. We find that in Acts 10, you'll remember, and the, what is it, the 14th, 15th verse. He says, uh, the Gentile, what about them? He says, well, the God of peace give you all joy and peace in believing, you see. He's going to work it out for you. He said he would bless the Jew and the Gentile. He said he'd bless the Jew and the Gentile. And again, and again, and again he says it. Now you just rest in him. You believe God is going to work for you. 
So, he's not blessing the Jew here according to prophecy. He couldn't yet because Israel had not accepted. And Israel was to be first. Let the children first be, what's that next word? No. Filled. I thought some would say that. Excuse me, you dear folks. I didn't mean to say no that harshly. No teacher should do that. But uh, no, it's not let the children first be fed. Let the children first be filled. Then the dogs can have theirs. Now then, uh, here in the 43rd verse, he's only been speaking for about two minutes. The Lord didn't let him talk very long, did he? About two minutes I timed this speech too. Verse 43, he says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him should receive remission of sin. Oh, that's marvelous. Just whosoever believeth in him Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And the Lord said, enough, Peter. Stop right there. Stop right there. I'm going to take over from here on. And these people are saved. They did believe. In their hearts they rejoice that we just have to believe in him. Now, how do I know that this was an interruption? Well, it says, while Peter yet spake. And in the 11th chapter, he says, as I began to speak. He had a lot more to say. Do we know what more he would have said as far as salvation is concerned? We surely do know what he would have said further had he not been interrupted. What was he sent to say? That repentance and remission of sins should be preached among all nations. You said, well, does that necessarily include baptism? Yes, indeed it does. Because in Mark 16, he says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Matthew 18, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So this was to be preached among Gentiles, of course. This was the kingdom message. And it was in line with the kingdom that our Lord was to establish on earth. So we know what he would have said had he continued speaking. We know what he was sent to say. We know what he was commanded to preach. But again, God, poor Peter, he got puzzled a lot in this story, didn't he? Again, God took it out of his hands. And here's a man uncircumcised. Here's a man unbaptized. Our Camelite friends have a problem with this, don't they? They say you have to be baptized to be saved. Here's the first time somebody wasn't baptized uh, in connection with salvation or, or, or to be saved or to honor God in that way to be saved. No. God says, that's enough, Peter. Look at Romans 10, please. And here we have it in a theological context. Romans 10 and um, did I say 10? I'm sorry. I meant Romans 3. Romans 3 and uh, the uh, uh, 21st verse. I'll begin with verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, but... Now, there is one of the most important uses of that term 
in all the word of God, but now. Paul is the first one that could or did say it in this connection. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is... Do you believe that? Do you believe that the righteousness of God without the law has been made manifest? If you believe it, say, Amen. Amen. I believe it with all my heart. This has nothing to do with the law. He fulfilled the law for us. He died for the broken law. Now then, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed or being borne witness to by the law and the prophets. Even the law and the prophets have to say, this is righteousness indeed. It can be called nothing less. Now then, even the righteousness of God, which is by not faith in, but the faith of Jesus Christ, his fidelity, his worthiness to be believed. Now, unto all and upon all them that believe and are baptized. You see it there? No, you don't. All them that believe. For, here's just what you find in Acts 10, there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the 26th verse. To declare, I say, at this time, how that time element is emphasized. But now, at this time, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he, God, might be just, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus and is baptized? No, that's the so-called Great Commission. That's what people claim to be working under. They're not. I hope they're not. No, here it is. You first find it with Paul. Under the Great Commission, they had to believe and be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not wouldn't be baptized, would he? And if he was baptized, he wouldn't be saved. So that's why he says, he that believeth not shall be damned. But here you have it. We declare, I say, what a declaration to give. What a wonderful thing to be able to say as the oracles of God. We declare at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus, period. Oh, my unsaved friend, rejoice in it with us, will you? Rejoice in your heart that God asks you to do nothing else than accept what Christ has done for you. He that believeth in Jesus. Now, that's where prophecy and the mystery uh, uh, meet. The necessity of believing in Jesus. Only according to the prophetic program, there were things that they had to do to prove that they did believe. Not today. Today is believeth in Jesus, period. To him that worketh not, but believeth, you see. Now then, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Isn't that beautiful? What a message Cornelius and his household got. That was all it was. That simple? Yes, and the Holy Ghost fell upon them. Now, of course, they heard them speak with tongues and so on. That was the, the uh, economy under which they were 
living at that time. That's not strange. Then Peter said, who can forbid water that these should be baptized? That's not strange either. But the point is that without circumcision, without baptism, without signs, without anything, these people believed and were saved. That's a marvelous, marvelous thing. Cornelius and his household. Now, though, look, please, at the 45th verse. And they of the circumcision that believed were astonished. They said, well, how can this? That's, what, that's how Peter felt before he went. Lord, oh Lord, I, I can't have anything to do with anything common or unclean. But he learned, he said, God has showed me that there's no difference. And now here, just by believing in Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, or uh, Luke says in verse 45, they of the circumcision were astonished, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. People like to express the tongues. Well, that was strange. That's how it was the Holy Spirit was first received at Pentecost. Now it was visibly evident that they too had received the Holy Spirit, though that was to pass away. But don't forget this part. They magnified God all of a sudden. Oh, what a message they said. Just believeth in Jesus. Oh, what a message. They magnified God. And Peter and they of the circumcision were astonished. Why this interruption? And why this whole narrative? And why was Peter only of all the twelve, sent to this Gentile household, and none of them, as far as we know, ever again. In fact, not long after, they promised that they would confine their ministry to Israel alone. Well, turn please to Acts 15, and I think we have the answer to that. Acts 15. Cornelius' conversion, and that of his household, was the answer to the issue at stake at the great Jerusalem council. Remember, Judaizers from Jerusalem had come to Antioch and had said, except these Gentiles are circumcised and keep the law of Moses, they can't be saved. And Paul, bless his dear heart, people are so worried about controversy today. We ought to be debating the word of God all over the land in love. Controversy shouldn't be a personal, hateful thing. Controversy over the word is healthy, and the church has never gone a step forward without, of it, without it. But Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. Finally, Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem and, uh, and Titus, and not only did the church at Antioch send them up, but God sent them up. He says, I went up by revelation. Now, Acts 15, please. Uh, they have this conference here, and Paul tells them what he had on his mind. Now, verse 7. When there had been much disputing, I feel like saying, come on, Peter, tell them, tell them. <laughs> Get up and tell them how you yourself were sent to the Gentiles. Finally, he did. And when he did, I want to take my hat off to Peter. Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us 
that the Gentiles by my mouth, and remember he had been appointed the head of the twelve apostles, he made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Where else do you find that word, no difference? Oh, it's a beautiful passage, isn't it? Romans 3, we find it, there's no difference for all have sinned. Romans 10, 12, there's no difference for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. My unsaved friend, there's a friend, there's a reason for you to rejoice again. The same Lord over all is rich unto all. He'll make you so rich. He'll make you go out of this auditorium so blessed and so happy and so rich this morning if you'll only trust him. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now then, verse 9, he put no difference between us Jews and them Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore why tempt ye God? Now listen carefully to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, that is the Gentile disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. It was a yoke we couldn't even bear. Who of us here, he would say to the Jews, who of us here has kept the law and kept it right? Which one of us can say before God, I'm innocent, I'm just, of any breaking of the law. It was a yoke and all the, the other things connected with it, a yoke which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. Turn to Galatians 2, please. Galatians chapter 2. Now, this is the same conference, I surely take it, and uh, Paul is telling about it here. In Galatians 2 and the second verse, he says, And I went up by revelation. Have you ever noticed there are several times when people send Paul and God sends him. Paul was an apostle. He couldn't be sent only by people. He was a, a direct messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I went up to Jerusalem by revelation, and I communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Doesn't that immediately indicate that this was something different and that this is why God had interrupted Peter when he had just said that they have to believe in Jesus? Doesn't this indicate that he came with something that they had not been preaching? He says, uh, I, I told them about that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, and look, privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He had to convince them. He went up there, and first, you remember, according to Acts, it's clear, there was first that private meeting, according to a comparison, I should say, of Galatian and Acts. There was first that private meeting. He did the right thing. He went to the leaders first, and he checked with them, 
to see how they would accept it. And he told them that gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. Then he was introduced to the public and they made a formal declaration. Now then, look at verse 6. It says, But those who seem to be somewhat, I don't want to go into this point or belabor, be, belabor it, but you see James had taken over. There was a decline among the twelve. The Lord had made Peter the leader of the twelve, not James. James was his own brother. He was not even an apostle. But you know how people go for men after the flesh. And here you got the Lord's own brother. And he was presiding over this conference. And that's why Paul, with varied phraseology here, calls them those who seem to be somewhat, those who are of reputation. Well, uh, those who seem to be somewhat, they went privately to those of reputation, lest he should run or had run in vain. Now then, the sixth verse, those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. Uh, those who seemed to be somewhat in conference, they didn't add anything to me. They didn't tell me anything about the prophetic program that I didn't already know. I was as schooled in Judaism as they were. I was as schooled in the prophets as they were and in the law. They added nothing to me. Now what does the next verse say, verse 7? But contrarywise. In other words, I was able to add something to them. I communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Now, but contrarywise, when they saw, they saw it. They saw it. They might have, may not have understood all the implications, but they did see that God had given to Paul a new message and a new dispensation, the dispensing of the grace of God. When they saw, verse 7, that the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto me as the gospel, I beg your pardon, the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto whom? Peter. Peter. Notice that. I'm sure that in that disputing, certainly when he was speaking with the apostles themselves, he made that clear. He emphasized it here. Those others, they seem to be somewhat. They're just of reputation. But God committed the gospel of the circumcision to Peter and the eleven that were with him. As the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, he's careful to bring that in here. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Peter, that Cephas is Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, he had to put James first there, because James was the chairman of the conference. When James, Peter, and John, who see the other James was dead, you understand that. He died in the 12th chapter, he was killed. So this is not the apostle. When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, and now I have said this in this conference or these conferences before but oh I want to impress this picture home here is a solemn a public an official agreement James the head of the council also two of the famous three uh, Peter James and John Peter and John 
when they saw, when they perceived the grace that was given unto me and Barnabas, uh, I beg your pardon, unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. Imagine there before that great audience, they're shaking hands on it. What? On what? Look, that we should go to the nations and they to the circumcision. Beloved, what does that do to the so-called Great Commission? It finishes it. Did you get it? Where had the twelve been sent? Only to Israel? No, go into, say it, all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to every creature. Go everywhere. Go. Did that include the? Did it include the Gentiles? <laughs> this was only one little nation among all those Gentiles. But here they solemnly agree, under the guidance, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and is recorded for us in the Word of God. They agree by a public ceremony. They shake hands together on it. That now Paul and his associates are to go to the Gentiles, and Peter and James and those others were to go back among the circumcision. Well, the time is almost gone, but do you see what a beautiful interruption this is? Coming as it does after the conversion of Paul, God is getting ready for something. Paul's just going to go among the Gentiles. If it had not been that the leader of the Jewish apostles had had this experience, they could have said, well, that's entirely separate. That's got nothing to do with God's program. We were sent, we were sent by Christ himself. We were sent first to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then all the land of Israel were to accept and then to the Gentiles. We, not he, he wasn't sent, we were sent. Ah, but God now was able to bring to their hearts and their minds the leader of your own twelve apostles the one whom the Lord Jesus appointed as the head of the twelve apostles. He himself went, went against his own, what he thought was better knowledge. He went against his own thinking and his own feeling. He went to the Gentiles because God said, now you go, you go nothing doubting. Go no matter what, I've sent them, you go with them. And he went and he began to preach. And when he got to that part about he that believeth in Jesus shall have remission of sins, hallelujah. All of a sudden, they accepted it. That's how simple it is to be saved, beloved. You do need the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how simple it is. Just believe what God says about him. Trust him. Put your Cast yourself on him, and eternal life is yours. I asked Ricky last night, or I asked him in the morning to bring me last night, a little thing that's coming in the next issue of The Searchlight by J.C. O'Hare. I think it is one of the most beautiful things he's ever written. Listen to it. A person is our Savior and our salvation. A person is our life giver and our life. A person is our Redeemer and our redemption. A person is our righteousness and holiness. A person is our peace and hope. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, the one mediator between God and man. By his blood we have been brought nigh to God. 
we need nothing more than Christ. Nothing less will suffice or avail. To add any religion whatsoever to Christ himself is to displease God. In Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. The believer is in Christ. The believer is accepted in Christ, complete in Christ, without condemnation in Christ. The righteousness of God in Christ. The believer is blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Christ is the superlative need of the world. He is all that you need, but you do need him. You must have him or be lost forever. Oh, my unsaved friend, don't be lost forever. There's no other way. It's heaven by Christ or hell without him. That's putting it bluntly, but that's putting it the only honest way. You do need him. Trust him this morning as your Savior and go away rejoicing with the joy, the consciousness of sins forgiven. Thank you, brother.